And the reason I want these guys up here is that I could just sit here and talk, but um, I, I love having them because Matthew has an incredible wealth of information of years and years of experience of working with bands and maximizing, getting the most out of people and getting the most out of bands. And, and a lot of the foundation here at New Life, a lot of the, the why it's good is because of people like Matthew and literally directly because of Matthew and what he's done and developed and poured in. And, um, and so that's why it's so great to have him here and, and to, to, to talk and, um, as well. And Jonathan is pro the youngest member of our staff, but he has a great perspective. So Matthew is the oldest member of our staff. Jonathan's the youngest member of our staff. So we have this, you know, this wealth of perspective. And you guys know that if you've done this for any length of time, you know that there's this sort of this tension, right, between the old and the new, the tension between the liturgical and the contemporary, this tension between these different worlds of styles and what style should we do and what, you know, who wants what. Um, and so we, we have, hopefully, we'll have some perspective on some of those things because we have different age groups and, and different styles and things that we like and things we don't like and all that kind of stuff. And um, we all bring that into what we do, right? We bring all of those, the things we like, the things we don't like, the things we love, the things we're afraid of and don't like and all that kind of stuff. We all bring it into what we do. And so it's all part of what we do. And so why we do what we do um, is an important thing to start with, I think, to lay the foundation of what is the purpose? Why do we have a band in the first place? So the question is, is can, can you have worship without a band? Yeah, everyone's nodding their heads because you say, sure, yeah, you can have worship without a band. Yeah, I've, I've been in some of the most par powerful worship times I've been in have been just someone with a guitar um, or nothing at all. I mean, I... There's been a cappella moments where it's just been, wow, the Lord is all over this thing. So you don't need a band, right? But do we like to have a band? Yes, we like to have a band. It's much harder to lead worship. I've, <laughs> there's a lot more pressure, right, if it's just you and it's you and a guitar. We like to have a band. And there's something that happens when a band is all in one accord, all on the same page, working together, flowing as a unit. There's something that happens. And so really the goal of it is, is to create an atmosphere where people can worship, right? That's really what our goal is. And the band, in some ways, is a tool. And we'll look at it in a second. It's more than just a tool. But it, it's a tool to make that happen. Just like it, it's, an, it's an element of the service. It's part of making that happen. But if the goal is to get there, to get to where people are able to worship, well, that kind of changes and reframes the way we do things, isn't it? Because there's some things that a band can do that can cause that to not happen. Have you ever been in a, in, in a worship service where you, you kind of thought, wow, I really wish they didn't even have a band? Because I'd be able to worship a whole lot better if it was just some one person singing and we could all just sing along and maybe a guitar or a piano or something like that. I have. You've been to those where it, what the band is doing is so distracting from the actual worship and what the goal is that it'd be better if they weren't even there. And so what we want to do with our bands and what we want to create is an understanding of that we are part of really leading people into the throne room of God. We are part 
of leading them to have an experience with their creator. It's, you know what, it's a really sacred calling. It's easy to look at it, and, and a, lot of, a lot of band members, that's one of the things that, that you have to communicate as a worship leader. A lot of band members just think, well, I'm just up there playing my instrument, and I'll just learn my part and do my part, and that's it. But what we really want them to see is that they are part, they are worship leaders, okay? It's not a worship leader and then a bunch of people playing instruments. It's that every member of the team is a worship leader. All of them are a part of making that happen, of creating that environment that allows the Lord to come and meet with people. It's a, it's a really sacred thing. It's a wonderful thing. I would like everyone to welcome Mr. Jared Henderson. Drummer extraordinaire. Hendy Bra. We like to call him Hendy Bra. Or Hendy, depending on how you feel. Valenti Bra, Mooseberry. We all have strange nicknames um, that we won't bore you with. The meaning behind. But this is Jared Henderson that I already told you about. I said Sorry, lots Willie. of good things about him. Jared, we were just, each of us, going around and telling our worst, most heinous sin we've ever committed in our lives. So it's your turn if you want to go ahead and do that. Just kidding. But, the, but what I was talking about, the importance of understanding, and Jared's going to talk about this a little bit tomorrow, so you'll hear him in the revolving doors section, of, of understanding that there's, we, there's not two different camps. It's like musicians, worship leader. Every one of us has a sacred calling. If you're part of a worship team, if you're part of the team that's leading people in worship, we have a sacred calling. It's not just play the notes and get out of Dodge. It's you have a calling. There's, there's a reason why you're up there. And it's to lead people. It's to lead people in worship. And that is a hugely um, important thing. So some of the questions when you're talking about, some of you may be in different boats. Some of you may have a band already. Maybe you've been, it's been going for a long time. You're part of the band, whatever that is. And there's others of you that maybe you're in a smaller church and you're wanting to start a band. You're, you're trying to think about where do we start? What do we do? How do we kind of get this thing off the, the ground? How do we make it work? Maybe it's somewhere in the middle and you, you have a band, but you're, you don't really love what's happening with the band and you want to change things. You want to make them better and you want them to grow. So there's some, there's some important questions to sort of ask yourself. And one of them is, what is the direction of the church? What is the Lord saying to the church? And frankly, is is what we're doing in line with the, the vision that the Lord's given our senior pastor. That dynamic, that relationship is a really important one. Um, we're, we're blessed here, and our senior pastor loves worship. He's passionate about worship, and frankly, he has an opinion about worship. He cares about it, and I love that. I love that he cares enough to have an opinion and tell us what he thinks and what he wants, and he communicates that. And the great thing is, is that John Egan, uh, our worship pastor, and he have a great relationship. So they talk about this stuff all the time. They're constantly in communication. That relationship, I think, is one of the most important in terms of the leadership of a church. That, that relationship between the worship pastor and the senior pastor is hugely important. So the question you ask yourself is, are we on the same page? Are we on the same page as our senior pastor? Are we, are we headed in the direction that we should be headed? Are we doing the things that we should be doing um, to accomplish the vision that, we're, that he sort of set out? The other is, what, what is the style? Um, you may be, some of you may be in a, a really young kind of progressive congregation where you can do, you know, more of the contemporary type stuff, maybe more like what we do here at New Life. And some of you may be in a congregation that's more, you have, you know, old, not, to, not to be ageist, 
but you have older people in your congregation, and they typically like what? Hymns, right? They love the hymns. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. There's incredible truth and wealth in the hymns. But as a worship leader, you may come in and go, okay, well, I'm, I don't care if they like that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, what's going to happen is you're going to alienate people. You're, gonna, <laughs> you're not going to have many friends. Now, is it okay to, to push things a little bit and to introduce things? And, and yeah, sure, totally. But you need to fit in with your style, the style of your church. Maybe you're down in the south and you're, whatever, you're in bluegrass country. Maybe, maybe bluegrass type style. Maybe that's the, the right style for your church. You know, maybe it's gospel. Maybe it's whatever it is. You do want to fit with the style of your church because ultimately you're serving the Lord, but you're also in, in some ways serving the people that you're ministering to. They are your sheep. The people in the church are your sheep, and you don't want to scare the sheep away, right? You want them to be a part of what you're doing and join into what you're doing. Um, and, and so you want to work in with the style of what's going on um, and make sure that it's relevant to the community that, that you're in. Um, the culture of your church may be one thing. Maybe you want it to be something else. But the reality is, is you have to, you can't change a culture in an instant. Um, you can't just turn things around. I, a number of years ago, I, I came into a, uh, a church where I was hired as the worship pastor. And I discovered when I came in that there were a number of people on the band that wanted the job that I just got. So before I was brought in and hired and said, we want you to be the worship pastor, there were several other people in the band that had been auditioning, basically. They would lead a Sunday or lead two Sundays or whatever, and the pastors were seeing if they were any good. Um, and so I, I kind of came in to this situation where there were things that I wanted to change, like, right away, but I also didn't want to alienate the people. And how many of you have, have gone into a situation like that, where you've gone into a church, let's say as a worship pastor or something, gone into a new situation, and realized, wow, I would like to just change a whole bunch of stuff right now, but I also realized that I, I have to work with these people. I, I want them to be a part of, I want them to have buy-in to what I'm doing. Um, and so I walked into that situation, and it was, you know, the, at the very first meeting, um, I led on the Sunday, they had, had me come in, and then they, I basically just said, I didn't even know all the people that were involved in the worship team, you know. So I just made an announcement and, and said, hey, everyone who is a part of the worship ministry, I would love to meet with you after service. Let's just get to know each other, everyone who's been a part. And so I had one I had one guy, so I'm, I'm kind of telling people, here's, here's what we're going to do, and, you know, kind of telling them what, where, the direction we're heading, trying to give some vision. And I had one guy say, who are you? We don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. You just come, I mean, challenging me in front of everybody, and I was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's how it's going to be. Great. This will be, this is going to be really fun. Um, and so there's those kind of dynamics that you walk into that, when you're trying to change a culture, sometimes there, there's people that will, you know, you'll, you'll have resistance. Anytime you're trying to make change, there's going to be resistance, right? It's, it's kind of inevitable. Um, and so I've been in those situations where you're, you're, you kind of have to just, you have to work with it, but at the same time, you have to do what you feel like God has put in your heart, right? You have to go the direction that God's telling you to go with the support of your senior pastor and, and bring along those that are, are there with you. Um, 
And so let's talk a little bit about um, the heart and skill of a musician, the heart and the skill. And I'd, I'd love for Matthew to talk a little bit about this, about just the heart and, and the importance of that. I do. Yeah, both, both are important. I, I see them fairly equal. I do think the heart would be the most important thing. We, we do want worshipers on our teams that are going after God. They're going after the same thing we are. They're wanting to serve him, like Brad said, serve the congregation, providing an atmosphere for people to meet with God and then kind of backing off and letting people have that meeting. Um, so the heart is huge in that. Uh, I've talked to friends who do similar jobs in, in other congregations, and many of them would agree with me. Some of them don't, though. Some of them say, no, this, this is my mission field. I bring in unsaved people, and, and, and I respect those people. But for me, I, want, I feel like I've got, uh, when I'm leading worship, if the band is all going the same place I'm going for the same motivation that I'm going there, I feel it's a lot more effortless to lead worship because they are pulling spiritual weight too. They're, they're all submitted to the Holy Spirit. And so the, the heart is a huge thing. Um, skill is the other side. Brad touched on this a little bit, but we don't want to distract the congregation. When we play bad notes or have train wrecks, it'll distract them. My, my dad is not a musician at all, but he's one of those people that makes a joyful noise unto the Lord, literally. <laughs> And uh, he's 6'5", and so you hear his voice. I don't know what happened to me. I, it must have been my mom, but I'm not very tall. But he, he gets out there, and he just goes for it. But he has no idea anything about music. But when there's a really bad dissonant note or a really bad train wreck, you'll even see a guy like him worshiping. And yeah. uh, then, he goes, then he goes back to it. We don't want to do that. We don't want to provide distractions for anybody. We want to help people meet with God. And, and it's interesting when you ask people, if you're interviewing them to be part of the band, and we, we can talk about that process later. I'll just say this really quick. When you ask them why they want to be in the band, you expect most people to just say, oh, because I love the Lord, and I want to worship God, and I want, to, I want to serve. You know, you expect that kind of an answer. If I, let's say I was a guy with bad motives, I would, if I had bad motives, I'd probably lie and say something like that. But I remember one, one lady that I interviewed, and I asked her that question, and she just told me. She says, well, I came from such and such church down the street, and I came here, and this, this church is bigger. And I saw the stage, and it was taller than the stage we had. I saw the lights. I saw the speakers. I saw everything. I've got to be up there. I said, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Let me tell you what you've won. So anyway, she won a trip out. But... Anyway, um, out of my office. So, so heart and skill are both important. I, I see them, I kind of see like a scale, and they're both sides. They both hold quite a bit of weight, even though I said at the beginning, a little more weight for the heart. Yeah. I think along with that, talking about skill, there's this kind of there's dichotomy between perfection and excellence. And I think a lot of people confuse the two of those things and think, We've got to be perfect, right? We've got to have every note exactly where it needs to be. We've got to be great. And it, it could even be We have tempting. to be forgiven. Yeah. The what? Forgiven. We don't have to be perfect, but we have, well, to, have be to be forgiven. you have to be forgiven. That's a good word. Thank you. It could even be tempting for, for maybe some of you, or and I know I've experienced this, where I go to somewhere else or some other church where they have, like, 
just amazing worship and think, oh, I, want to, I just want it to be like that. Why can't I have it like that? Or why can't I have those musicians or those players? I would just love to. They're so, they're so great and, and all that. And, and so we kind of think, well, they're, they're perfect. Do they be perfect? I can tell you for a fact that none of the musicians that you see up here are perfect. Now, there are, there are people up here that are, are great and because they've put a lot of time and they've become excellent but they're not perfect. And so let's define that. Let's define excellence. And the way I see excellence is excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. The best you can with what you have. Another way to, another way to say that is to maximize potential. Okay. Within every person, there's potential for, for every one of you within your bands. When you go back, they have a potential to be, you know, some people have a ceiling, but being excellent is reaching that ceiling, or at least pushing as hard as you can to reach that ceiling. Does that make sense? So it's maximizing being the best. If you go in there and you expect and say, well, that band did it, so you guys should be able to do this, and you need to do it exactly like this, you're going to really frustrate people. You're going to leave them kind of feeling like, well, I could never do that, or I could never be that good. Instead, what we want to do is encourage people to go to the next level or take the next step. Encourage them to be better and to maximize the potential that they have. Because I think all of us would agree that we could be, we could be better. There's always room for improvement. And if anyone in your band or the people that you deal with doesn't feel like that there's any room for them to improve, um, then it's, you know, that's kind of a scary place to be because they're not gonna be teachable. They're not gonna respond when you correct them or ask them to do things. And so you, I think it's important to sort of understand that, that the skill is hugely important, but we want people to, um, we want people to be excellent, not necessarily perfect, because we still have bum notes. You come, I mean, any given Sunday you can come and there'll be a, a bad note or, you know, get off the beat a little or something. Well, that never happens with Jared, of course. Hennybra. Never happens. But just, you know, there, there are things that go wrong. You play a wrong note, someone, you know, squeaky, whatever. You know, there's, there's things that happen that it doesn't go perfectly. But our goal is not perfection. Our goal is not perfection. Our goal is excellence, is doing the best that we can with what we've got. And, and really, that's what the Bible calls stewardship, right? There's a word in the Bible. It's called stewardship. And stewardship is essentially that. It's maximizing. Um, you know, the parable of the talents, the, the, the servants that take their talent and they just, they just bury it, you know. They just bury it in, in the ground. Well, essentially, if you, if, if you as a band member is, are just burying it in the ground, that's, that's, not, that's not what stewardship is. Stewardship is taking it and making it grow. Taking what you've been given and making it grow, making it better. Push yourself, stretch yourself, try to become better. Um, all those kinds of ideas. And so that's, that's I think, why it's so important. Um, one of the things we'll talk about, because this is, this is um, a really, how many of you guys enjoy auditions? There's like four of us in a room of 100 people that enjoy auditions, right? How many of you guys absolutely hate auditions? I'll, I'll it's not really fun, right? It's not fun because there's a number of reasons why it's not fun. It's not fun to tell people that they're not any good or they're not going to make it. It's not fun to 
sort of have to deliver bad news or to do those kinds of things. It's not fun to deal with the responses that you get when people don't make it or, you know, all those kinds of things. It's not necessarily fun. Um, and we've done it a number of different ways here. I'm going to have Matthew talk about it because Matthew kind of, after trial and error, developed the way we do auditions here, and it, and it just it works. And so hopefully it's something that will be helpful to you, Matthew. Tell us more about it. Yeah, I'm happy to tell you about this. <laughs> I'm that guy who's received multiple phone calls from people who were very upset because they didn't get in the band. This is many years ago. And I even had some of the worst calls I received were from the spouse of the person who didn't make it in the band. And I'm just getting an earful. And, you know, being a pastor at the church, I'm going to listen and I'm going to be loving. And even though I think of many things I could say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. Um, the way we used to do it is the way I'll first tell you not to do it. And if you're doing this, no offense. I'm not trying to bring any offense. But um, what we would do is we'd have everybody come through the audition. They'd do their thing. And at the end of each audition, I would say, great job. You'll hear from me. Great job. You'll hear from me. You'll get a letter. And then I would send a letter in the mail that would either say, I'm inviting you to be on the team, or I'm not inviting you to be on the team. And if you have any questions, my phone number is here and my door is open. <laughs> little, no call. <laughs> little did I know how many times people would use the phone number or find my office. <laughs> Something had to give. I really wasn't serving those people. I, there's probably countless, countless of those individuals that never contacted me or said anything. They felt bad. And we never want to tell people they're no good. Nobody's no good. Everybody's good to an extent. Um, I mean, Jesus is really the only one that's good, but, but you know what I'm talking about. And so I thought, how, how can we serve the people who are auditioning? We don't, as a, as a band leader, I don't just want to serve um, the people that are on the team. I want to serve the people who want to be on the team and who are striving to be on the team. So I'm a pretty honest guy. I like to tell the truth. I like to do that and I don't mind confrontation. It's not my favorite thing. I might not raise my hand if somebody asks that question, but I don't mind doing it because to me there's a certain freedom and a liberation in just being honest with people. And when I say honest, I mean in love. I'm not just saying everything that I could say. And so the, the way we switched auditions to be is that we wouldn't, instead of having a, you know, all the auditionees in the room and one after the other, they'd come up and do their thing, like I said, and we'd say, great job. Instead, we would bring them in one at a time. So I'd have another staff member. I know, I think Lindsay's done this for me before, where they sit out um, outside of the sanctuary and they, you know, I'll text out there to say, bring in the next person. And so people, it's more like a private audition, and then it would be myself or Brad or myself and Hendy or myself and Moose. Um, I don't think we should do it by ourselves. It's nice to have other people there, especially when you're talking about sensitive information. Let them do the audition, and then, I, then we would sit down with them across the table right after that, and I would give them constructive feedback. And sometimes it's like, wow, that was amazing. I don't really have much to improve, that happens once in a while. I remember a bass player that, named Andy that came through. It just blew my mind what he could do. I don't really have anything to say that was constructive for him to help him, but I was excited to have him in the band. But um, uh, 
the way I would frame this, and this might help you if you're going in this direction, is I would, I would ask them, what is your goal after the audition? What's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish here? Where, where do you see yourself here? And every once in a while, somebody would have auditioned and say to me, well, I want to lead worship in a small group, or I want to play for this or that. And I'd say, oh, well, you didn't need to audition for me. This is for Sunday morning. But, you know, they kind of got in the wrong place and ended up with me. But most of the time, people would say, I want to play on Sunday morning. So that would give me a perfect entrance to you know, just an opening line coming at me to respond to, to say, okay, if, if that is your goal, that's a great goal, here are the things that you would need to improve on to meet that goal. And then I would list those things specifically. I wouldn't say, you just need to be better, or you're not good enough. I would never use phraseology like that. It would always be specifics. And it, so if you're somebody that doesn't know the specifics of what a drummer needs to do, you bring in a drummer, if you have a drummer that knows, like Hendy. Hendy can tell a drummer what's needed. He can go way beyond my remedial knowledge. And so you bring people in. That's why it's another reason why it's good to have people in there. But you, you basically try to tell them how to get where they need to get. And I have not, since I went for the direct approach and being honest with people, I haven't had even one person come back and yell at me. I haven't had one spouse yell at me, which can, like I said, can be worse. Um, none of that has happened. And I, it's been more than 10 years that I did it that way. And so I, I think that's a pretty good track record. It's not a reflection on me. It's a reflection on speaking the truth in love, which is a scriptural principle. So that, that's what I'd have to say about that. Another thing I just thought of is, you know, lay out the process in advance to the auditionee, whoever, whoever is going to audition. It's, it's really tough on them when they come in and don't really know what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. They don't know what to expect. I'm going to let them know up front. You know, and, and the first thing I would do is interview them. I, I, don't, I would never want to audition them and then interview them. I want to interview them first to find out who they are, to build up enough relationship, even though it's not very much, but 45 minutes, you can build some relationship, enough that I will be able to speak the truth and love to them when they come for the actual instrumental or vocal audition. And so um, once, once I, I interview them and then bring them in for the audition, there's already some ground already plowed where, where I can actually speak something to them. But I lay, that, lay it out up front. I tell them, I'm going to give you some constructive feedback at your audition so, so they know. Some people think auditions are a formality. You know, there, and there are churches where you, the audition is just the way in, but pretty much everybody makes it. And that's okay if that's the system. I, I had a system like that um, in a church I worked for when I was first starting out. I was like um, what Brad's talking about. I wanted to have a band. All we had is either piano and leading or acoustic guitar and leading. And so I wanted to build that up. And so my bar was a lot lower for excellence because I wanted to get people in and, and help develop them. That's the other thing we want to do is develop them. So I, I don't want to keep talking. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, and, and Matthew is, is really good at that. I mean, it's the important thing about speaking the truth, like you said, is speaking it in love. Because you can speak the truth like, you know, Simon Cowell or something and just tell people exactly the truth. Tell me about it. Now, it's the truth, but 
I don't think many people would say it's in love, you know? If, if they feel, people can feel when you're speaking the truth in love, and they can feel when you're not, when you're just kind of being mean a little bit, right? Um, and so it's really important, like he was saying, the, the good thing about that is you do build a rapport with people so that when, you're, when you tell them, here are the specific things that I think you, if, you're, if your goal is to play on Sunday morning, here are the things that you're going to need to work on in order to make that happen. Um, they appreciate that because what you've done is you've given them something to shoot toward. You've given them a goal. You've given them something to work on. Um, and so they can actually get better. And because the reality is, is these people that are coming to audition are still part of your church, right? They're still a part of your flock. They're still a part of, um, you're going to see them, you know, you're going to see them next week or you're going to see them a month from now. And so you want to, they don't leave. If they don't leave and try to go to the next church, that'll let them play at, which is fine. Uh, they can do that. But if they're going to be part of your flock, then you want to be honest with them. You don't want to just kind of, you know, like, like Matthew was saying before, you just kind of say, hey, that was really great. You'll be hearing from me and then send them a letter because then they, it doesn't give them any room to grow or it doesn't give them an opportunity to grow. They just kind of walk away going, I'm not good enough, and they feel rejected. So you want to give people an opportunity to grow, um, and we all want that, right? We all want to grow. We all want to get better. When you go to an audition process, the thing about it is it's an extremely vulnerable place to be. How many of you have been through an audition? It's very vulnerable. You feel you're going in there not knowing if you're going to do well, number one, and then number two, if what you did was good enough. And so you have to remember that, too. People are coming in with a very, they're feeling really um, vulnerable at that moment. So one of the things that I, do you guys know what an encouragement sandwich is? Okay. If you don't know what an encouragement sandwich, it is, if you ever received a rejection letter from anyone, it's a, an encouragement sandwich. So the opening paragraph says, yeah, no, we are so grateful that you, you did such a da 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 And then the middle paragraph says, but we regret to inform you that X, Y, and Z. And then at the end, it's, you know, keep it up kind of thing. That's basically what you're doing. Now, the trick is to do it without sounding patronizing, right? To, to be sincere about it. So one of the things that, that we try to do is we always try to tell them something positive. And when they come in and they play for you, they're in this vulnerable state. They're trying to do the best they can. And it may not be good enough for, this, for your Sunday morning or whatever the, their goal is. But... Find something positive to say. If they're a drummer, what, just something positive. And be sincere about it because they'll know if you're insincere and you're just being pandering. You don't want to do that. You want to be sincere about it, but tell them something positive before you say, here are the things you need to work on. And then try to leave them with something positive again and encourage them. Um, it's just, honestly, that's really communications 101. Anytime you're, want, you're delivering bad news, you always want to wrap it in hey, this is, this is just, you need to work on this, but here's the things that are really great. Reinforce and, and those things. Encourage them in those things so that they walk away feeling good about themselves. My mother-in-law is, is really good at this. She's like an expert at correcting you, but you walk away feeling good about yourself, and you're thinking, I think I just got corrected, but I, I'm not sure, you know? Um, do you guys know people like that? Well, we can all be those people because, frankly, it's just a skill that you can learn. You can learn to correct people. And this, again, this will translate not just into auditions, but this will translate into the band dynamic as well. People that are actually in your band who are doing something that you want them to change. Again, encouragement sandwich, right? Tell them something good. 
but I'd like you to change this, but you rock. You know, whatever. Um, you can be more eloquent than that. But you want, to, you want to encourage them. Always be encouraging and telling them good things. Okay, so one of the things that I'll say about the band is you always want to be prepared. What does that mean? Well, I think there's two aspects to it. One, you want to be prepared spiritually. You, you want to be ready. As a worship leader, as a band director, whatever your, your role is, to be prepared, to, to get yourself ready to worship, to do what you're doing, okay? And we all know that that's important, but it's easy to overlook it in the logistics of getting a song list and get everything printed and getting it out and all that kind of stuff, communicating with everyone. But it's really important, and I don't think you can overlook the importance of that. The second is be prepared physically. So make sure that you have communicated well to people. Make sure that you have the, the song lists and have everything printed out. Make sure they have the music in advance. Get your people the music um, before you get there so that they have a chance to listen to it. And they can be prepared. Because not only should you want to be prepared, but you want to set people up for success, right? And the best way you can do that is let them know what's coming. People don't like surprises. We like surprise parties. But other than that, for the most part, you know, you, you, you don't like to be blindsided with something, especially something like this where you have to, be, to know something and be able to do something. So you want to give them an advance warning. You want to give them fair warning so that they can be prepared and they have enough time to kind of get themselves prepared. Because what that'll do, it'll reduce frustration. You're going to have really frustrated people if you do that to them time and time again. And don't give them what they need to, to be ready in advance. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to be annoyed. Um, and you don't want that. There's nothing worse than a, than a frustrated player. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that um, the dynamics of actually working with the band in rehearsal situations, Sunday morning situations. Um, one of the things that I, I think is really important that um, Ross Parsley, who was the worship pastor here for many years before, said it once, and it's really stuck with me. And it sounds really rudimentary, but it's so true and so easy to forget. And that's this. People don't know what you want unless you tell them. We sort of think in some ways that everyone can kind of, they know what I'm expecting. They know that I want them to do this here. They know that I want them to be this or to whatever it is. The reality is that's not really true most of the time. People really don't know what you want unless you actually communicate it to them. Because if you don't communicate it to them, then you can't hold them accountable for it. Does that make sense? Because if you haven't told them that you want them to do this, then you have no basis on a follow-up conversation to say, you know, if you've never said that, then you can't get frustrated at someone for something you've never communicated, Right? Sometimes we do that and we just kind of, oh, they should know. They should be able to change this. But we're afraid of the confrontation. We don't want to have the conversation. And we just get frustrated. They don't know it. And they don't know that they're frustrating us, but we're getting frustrated. So instead, why don't you just communicate what you want? Tell people what you want. I'll say it again. People don't know what you want unless you tell them, unless you communicate it. So articulate what you want. Tell them specifically, and if you don't know exactly what you want, have someone else help you. Like if, if, it's a, if it's a drum thing and you want a drummer to do something and you're like, I don't even know how to really say it, get someone who does. Have someone like Hendy or that, that can communicate and say, this is what they're looking for and here's how you do it. But communicate that. Tell them, tell them what you want. 
Um, and I, want, I want Matthew to talk a little bit about building relationships and, and the importance of that within a band context. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking which way I want to go with this. Um, well, I think it comes back to the, the same thing I said about the auditions, really. It's just you're ongoingly building relationship and rapport with the people on your team. I mean, I don't think it should just be rehearsal and service and, and that's it. If, if, if you can try to do other things with them as well. I mean, I would work my way through the, the whole band when I could, um, when I'd have the money, um, and take them out to lunch. And when I couldn't afford to do that, I would meet them for lunch. I'd meet them where they work. I'd bring my sack lunch, you know, take a break and go meet them and, and get to know them better that way. Um, having little potluck, you know, I hate to use the word luck, but those kind of things for, for a pot blessing, you know, <laughs> for the team is a, another good thing you can do. But the bottom line is this, you want to build relationships so they, they know your heart. You're casting the, the vision that God's put in your heart to them throughout the time that they're, they're part of the team. And then you're building relationship with them so that you can speak honestly. If you, if you get yourself in a position where you don't feel like you can, you can be honest with people about the way that the things they're playing or what they're doing, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. It's just going to degrade. But if you start out that way, and it comes down to you know, letting them know your expectations up front, and that I, I'm going to be speaking into your life or speaking regarding your playing, um, then it's a little easier to accept. And if you start out that way, it's easy to maintain it that way. If you don't start out that way, it's hard if someone's been with you a year, six months, to suddenly start giving them feedback. They don't receive it well. I, I've tried that. So most of what I say comes from me doing the wrong thing through the years, and I'm trying to help you not make the same mistakes that I've made because it's easy not to say anything. And then after a while, it gets so bad, you're, as a worship leader or a band leader, you're, you're frustrated with somebody on your team or the people on your team, and, and that's a bad place to be. Then your heart's not pure in it. So build relationship. And, and out of that, like Matthew was saying, once you've built relationship, you have a rapport from which to speak. Um, and you can be honest with people. Because when there's relationship, people accept honesty. If my wife says something, my wife can say things to me that other people couldn't say, right? Because we have a relationship. I know her, and I know that she has my best interests at heart. It's not just someone saying something brutally honest to me that could hurt my feelings. Taking them the wrong way could hurt your feelings, right? But because of the relationship that we have, she can say things to me that other people couldn't say that, or I wouldn't receive them necessarily from them because of the relationship. And so along with that, in the band context, there are times when you're going to have to really lean in and listen and then tweak things and have people change things and communicate things like, don't, let's not do it that way. Let's, let's try this, or let's do it a, li a little bit more like this. And if there's no relationship there, those can be, you know, you can, people can sort of, like, how could you tell me I'm not doing it right, or I'm not doing what you want? Um, and they can kind of respond that way in a defensive way. Um, but if you have relationship and you can do it in love, 
then people will respond in the right way. Um, they'll, they'll respond, you know, in a good way. Um, I'm going to have Hendy talk a little bit about the importance, and if you don't do this, you should, the importance of playing with a click. So, thank you. We've got some, got some click supporters. Hendy's going to tell us more about that, why it's, why it's a big deal, and how to do it. Um, I love the click <laughs> so much. I believe that there is freedom in the click, and I know that um, there's a lot of opinions about the, fr uh, about the click bringing slavery. Condemnation, sure. Uh, and when I first came here, I could not play to a click and really quickly had to get on that train. Uh, Matthew is one of the first guys to help me with that. And we play everything to a click. Um, we play a lot of tracks now where we use strings and uh, supplemental percussion and stuff in the tracks. You cannot play Augsburg. You cannot play to tracks without a click. And um, the few arguments against click I, that I think are common would be that it, uh, it inhibits freedom to move around and do what maybe the Holy Spirit is saying. I, I personally believe that the Holy Spirit can move within the confines of musical consistent tempo. And uh, he's, capable. He is capable. he's more than able. And we've, I've actually seen him do that so many times. Um, and, and the click brings a certain security to the band that I believe actually allows for that to happen when you've got an anchor, you have something that does not lie about the tempo. And your emotions do lie about the tempo. And the best example I can think of for that is a Sunday morning at 7.30 a.m. Every song feels so fast. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you've played I Am Free at 138 beats per minute for 10 years. It feels fast at 7 a.m. Yeah. Just drop it down to 70. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and at youth group on a Wednesday night, 138 beats per minute feels so slow. There's so much energy in the room. And, <laughs> and the, some of the greatest musicians in the world can pull that off. They've managed, they can manage their emotions, and they have a good enough internal clocks to be able to do that. But I'm not one of them. And I would also say all of those musicians who record albums, play for A-list stars, they use metronomes. It is just a fact of life these days. And I, and I understand there are contexts where it is not appropriate to play with a click, a jazz club. The click totally inhibits that style of music. But uh, with rotating musicians, and you're trying to accomplish like a uniform sort of feel on a Sunday morning, click is your friend. Um, Until the very end. Uh, I, there's there was another thing that I think. Oh yeah, that never mind. I talked about both things I want to talk about. The click is our friend. The click is your friend. And hello. And there are you know there are. I, I was in a church once where we didn't have an in-ear monitor system because that is that is one of the things you kind of have to have to make it really work. And we didn't have it. Um, when I, when I started there, but I knew, like, we, we have to at least get some of us on the click. So there are ways you can do that. And if it's just getting your drummer to be on a click 
and he and 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 your the rest of the band's click is the hi hat, great, but get somebody on a click, you know. Um, and so we we get, we figured out a way just just to get him the click, and so that it was able to come through. Some of some of us were on floor wedges, and so it wasn't really doable. But there are ways around that. It's it's the, but it it does hold everything together. It's consistent. It helps. It's going to make every one of your band members play better. It just does. It always does. Um, and so if you're not using it, you should. And maybe all of you use it, and that's great. And if you do, carry on. But if you don't. And, and I would also say that it's just a process to get into that, like it was for me. And so uh, maybe after, if, if anybody's wanting to start that process, we could talk about just simple ways that I, I know Matthew implemented before I was here uh, to work that in without totally overwhelming everyone and frustrating everyone. Because it's so frustrating to play to a click if you've grown up not playing to it. It's just, it's really hard at first, and then it becomes your friend. It's your friend. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, um, and maybe Moose, maybe you could elaborate on this a little bit, but one of the, one of the thoughts, um, one of the things I was thinking about is that the importance of getting rid of your music stands on the stage. Getting rid I of see that music hand. stands. <laughs> Making people memorize their music. Now, there's a number of reasons why this is a good idea. Um, and Moose, do you have something you'd like to talk about? Yeah. Um, for one, they look extremely dorky. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I remember, uh, I'm from California, and I, I started leading at this church. It was called Monterey Church. Um, it's on the central coast of California. We have an inside joke about that that's not funny. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I started, you know, being in this worship leading role, um, and it was kind of the first time I'd ever really been in anything like that, and so I was just trying to get through the songs, you know, I was pretty much singing karaoke up there, um, you know, just fearful <laughs> every step of the way, um, and I had a, a, a stand in front of my microphone stand consistently every time I led worship, and like I had a, a straight up road map for every song, like cut and pasted in the biggest font with all the chords in the right areas. So there was just, there was no risk. You know what I mean? Like I could just get up there and, and, and go through it. And, and there was nobody really to tell me that that was like an, a hindrance. <laughs> so I, we kind of just went through it thinking that was how you did it. Um, and as I kind of just grew in my worship leading and, and started to, um, hear from God about things that I wanted to say to the congregation, and even musically, I wanted to go in a different direction. Um, is this on topic with what yeah, you were on? Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I just started to get these ideas, and I was just like, man, this thing is like keeping me in slavery, <laughs> this music stand. Um, there's no risk, which I think was a really, really big thing, is um, I, I was so decided in my mind about what I was going to do, and I was so scared of any change that I was just locked into it. And so there would be no spontaneity or, or anything like that. And, and also, you can hide behind the music stand, like straight up. Um, you can just be like, no, no, I have to look. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to make eye contact with the congregation. I have to look at the music stand. And you kind of like, we have this understanding, like worship leader congregation, like, this is my role, and we're not going to break this... <laughs> This barrier, um, which is not good. 
Um, and so I started to realize that I was just kind of, you know, this was my, my safety suit is this uh, music stand in front of me. Um, so I was just like, you know what, I'm going to get rid of this thing. I'm, I'm going to, I do not want to be in slavery to the music stand. And as soon as that happened, um, I mean, spiritually and emotionally, there was something that changed within me. Um, I started to hear things from God clearly when I was leading and just prodding me, you know. Remember that, that Bible verse or that passage that I told you, like, say it. And I was, I was looking at people in the eyes, you know, P- people that are in the church, older couples, random people in the back that I just had never even thought of before. And it wasn't becoming as scary out there. And this, it became more of a, a unit. There's kind of like unity flowing in the room. Um, so yeah, it was huge. And so that's, that's a worship leader perspective, um, for sure. Um, but what I would say uh, for musicians is it, it puts way more uh, accountability on them. You know what I mean? Because you can, depending on who you are as a musician, you can really fake it if you have to look at the CCLI chart and there's a, a little letter, a chord, or a number or whatever above every phrase. Um, you can fake it. Um, and I used to fake it all the time. But when you take that away and it's like, no, we're, we're expecting you to have put in the, the premeditated time in your, your basement or in your room, listening to the songs, coming up with your parts, uh, doing whatever you're doing. Um, when they get up there, it ends up being a better thing, just overall. And people are more focused, and you can have moments with band members. I mean, all the time, the, we, we'll look at each other when we're playing, and we just know that something cool happened musically. And, like, and, and even that, I think there's a spiritual dynamic to just the unity within the band. It's not just that Hendy did a ridiculous drum fill, and it's just like, oh, my gosh, that was so sick. We need to look and have that moment, like... I just think there's something to that within the team, like a spiritual dynamic of we're, we're in sync. We're not just completely zoned out on the music. So, but I do think you should have the music in, uh, in preparing. Um, and we do that. We, we have charts and, and set lists and all that stuff and MP3s available, sometimes YouTube videos. Um, so yeah, you should have that re- resource initially so that they can learn it. But when it comes to showtime, no charts. It's not and, showtime. And one of the things about that as far as the band goes is that I think, too, when, when you're just focused on the music, it's you're just doing what you're doing. And what it does is it takes, to me, if you haven't memorized it, there's a number of things it does in that regard. But it also makes it so where you don't really listen to everything else, right? You're just focused on what you're doing and what you're playing, and you're so zoned into that that you're not listening to the rest of the band. And so what tends to happen there is if you have everyone on stage with all their charts, people tend to overplay. Have you ever found that? I have. I've seen it. They, they overplay. They do too much because they're not listening to everyone else. They're not looking for the sonic space and allowing the music to breathe. When you have it internalized, you can spend way more of your focus on listening to everybody else to hear what else is going on, not just, I've got to play my part, I've got to nail this. You're listening to everyone else. And frankly, that's going to make not only you a better musician, but it's going to make your band better. It's going to make the worship better. It just does. It's going to step up the level of excellence to another degree because um, it, it, it makes you practice. I was talking uh, with someone this morning, and, and they were saying, how do we get our musicians to practice a little better? How, how do we get them to want to, to, to practice? I feel like they just kind of show up and they're doing their thing. 
And, and I found out that they still have music stands on the stage. And I said, the way to do that is to get rid of the music stands because they have to practice. They have no choice. What you do is you take the crutch away and let's see if these people can actually walk. The crutch, which the music stand, frankly, let's be honest, that's what it is. That's what it becomes. You take that away and they have to learn how to walk on their own. And they get real serious about learning the music and, and learning the parts and memorizing it when they know if, if I don't, I'm not going to have that crutch there and I'm going to look really stupid when I play the wrong notes. And, you know, <laughs> vanity can be a, a good motivator, right? People don't want to look stupid. And that's not, you know, that's not, we don't want to scare people with that. But it does make them lean in and really learn it and really try to get better and really work on things. And so it's, it's, it's important to, to do that, to take that step. If you're not there, um, take that step. And along with that, I talked about overplaying. Um, you, you really, what's one of the things you've got to work on with your band on is getting people to not overplay. There's kind of this curve of musicianship, and all of us, I think, would agree with this. When you start out, you're, you're not good, and so you're, you're very timid as a player, and you don't know a lot, so you just play really simply, right? You're just trying to get the chords, or you're just trying to keep it really simple. And then you sort of hit this, this point where you start learning really cool stuff. And you're like, I can do this. I can solo, and I can throw crazy fills in, and just I can shred and hammer on. And, I mean, just whatever it is. There's this moment where you kind of go this, and so you start, people start kind of throwing in everything that they've got all the time. It's almost like they're trying to prove something to everyone of how great I am. And then you, you hit this moment where they actually start to become a musician. And what happens is they start to listen to everything else and realize, I'm not the only musician in this band. There's other people doing really cool stuff. And I need to bring this down. Because what happens is when you're doing that all the time, it's like someone who talks a lot, right? And they just talk all the time. Eventually, what do you do? Tune them out, right? You just kind of turn the sound down and you don't listen anymore. And then there's other, there's other people in your life that hardly ever say anything. And when they do, you just, you kind of lean in, right? You're like, I want to know what they have to say because they don't say a lot. And when they do, it's really important. Well, in some ways, musically, it should be that way. If you're talking all the time and you're just, you know, doing runs all the time or shredding constantly or throwing in a fill every four bars or whatever it is, it just, after a while, it just kind of tunes, you just kind of tune them out. Because frankly, if you don't, it's distracting, right? You want to leave people wanting more. You want to throw in something really cool every once in a while that augments, that adds to, that reinforces the music, not takes away from it or distracts from it. Um, and so you, you, you want there to be space. You want to leave space in the music for, for those moments, for things to happen. Uh, you know, and sometimes the hardest part is getting people not to play, right? It's almost impossible to get a guitar player not to play and say, okay, for four bars, I don't want you to play. They'll kind of look at you like, what? What do you mean not play? How can I not play? I've got this instrument here. I got two hands. I got to put them to work. <laughs> you know, it's sometimes that's the hardest thing, but it's sometimes it's the best thing for the music, for the worship, for what, again, it's all about keeping that purpose in mind, keeping the end goal in mind. If the end goal is for people to connect with the Lord in worship, then 
you look along the way, what's the best way to get there? Sometimes it's not playing. Sometimes it's just stopping. Sometimes it's laying your instrument on the ground or getting on your knees. It, it, it can, it's different in different circumstances, but sometimes not playing is the best thing that you can do as a musician. Um, just to give, let there be space, let it breathe a little bit. Um, and so that's one of those things. Um, see if there's anything else. I think what we should do, because we're actually over right now, um, time-wise, if you guys have a few minutes, we can open it up for a little bit of Q&A if you have some questions. If you need to go, then feel free to go. But if you have some questions, then uh, we'll start here and then work our way around. Um, just hold, okay. What if you have um, everything ready to go um, for your musicians and they don't do their part? All right, cool. <laughs> oh, no. Because me? Oh, well, Andy had something to say no, first. Okay. You're the guy. I have had that happen. It, it was never the whole team at one time. It almost sounded like that's what you were talking about. And if that's the case, that'd be a, a, a pretty, pretty rough situation. Um, but I can take it, break it down to a lower common denominator. The way I've seen it, it's more one or two people didn't prepare and unfortunately if you're not finding that out until it's time for service you're kind of going to hobble in there and make it through is what you're going to have to do but then then I'm that's where that open dialogue comes back in where I'm going to talk to those people individually if there's more than one of them I mean, if it's a whole band I would I would have a come to Jesus meeting with them but if it's one or two people I would it, it's a lot easier if you just get them alone and talk to them about it. I, I do think that um, that's like the Band-Aid to put over it. I think the real fix has to do with defining a different culture on the team. And the way I did that was I, I was constantly casting vision, but with that I was talking about how um, kind of stuff that Brad was saying at the very beginning of this workshop this is a holy and high calling that we all have. Every single one of you is a worship leader. It doesn't matter whether you sing or not, you're a worship leader, and we're here to lead this congregation. And so that's something that, that I'm, I'm pushing from the beginning. The other thing is, that over the many years I've done this, there's been times where I'd, I'd hear a, a musician say something like, um, I don't practice, I, all, I do all my practice at rehearsal. If you say that in front of me, you're going to hear about it. I, I mean, they, when they say that, they're saying that kind of pridefully, kind of like, I'm, I've kind of arrived. I'm at the top of the heap of the church world. You know, I can play. You know, I, I don't need to practice. I, I practice a little bit, but it's at everybody else's expense. That's what they're really saying. Um, and so that, that's all part of the culture that I'm trying to, to instill in them from the beginning and is letting them know that, that this is, this is a high calling, like I said before. It's holy. Um, we, we are leading people into the presence of the God of the universe. And so we've got to be prepared. Practice is on your own. Rehearsal is as a group. There are two different things, practice and rehearsal. Practice is what you do on your own time to be a good steward of that and then uh, rehearse together. So that's, that's kind of the, the bigger fix, I would say. Do you have any advice on how or any experience in going, taking a church band from an open band to an audition band? 
Um, actually, I do, <laughs> I do have experience in that. It's really interesting. I don't know if this will apply, but I, I came into an open band and wasn't sure what to do, and I prayed. And what did God tell me to do? He said, have a purity talk. What? What does that have to do with this? I'm trying to make there be auditions. I'm trying to do exactly what you're saying. I've just got to tell you what I did. I mean, I don't know if it's going to work, but I, th <laughs> I think it will. I didn't know why I was doing that, but I did it. So I got them all together. I sat there on a stool, and I talked to them about how I believe that we, as musicians, if we are leading worship, um, we are held to a higher standard. And I do believe this very much. I believe all Christians are held to a high standard. We, don't, we, we want to stay away from sin, but if you're on the platform, if you're leading people, I mean, that was a, the big awakening for me when I started leading worship. Wow, i got to really watch what I'm doing during the week because I don't want to be saying, God, help me at the last minute. I want to be in conversation with him all week, aware of him all week, so that when I lead worship, it's easy. And so I did this talk with them, and the people that, that, need, that wouldn't have passed the audition are the people that came up to me you know, maybe a few days after they didn't come right up to me and at different times they came to my office and said, I'm not living that way. And I, and I, I applaud them for being honest with me, but I, this one guy in particular, I can't live the way you want me to live. In fact, I don't really want to, but I do like playing. So I guess I, guess I shouldn't be in the band. And so God was good to me because it, it all worked out where I could start doing that but let's say you didn't do all that let's say it was just clean slate how do I change it to that here's what I would do I would not I would not make the people who are already in audition you're gonna get opinions all over the map on this if you ask enough people I would make that the policy for new people coming in because I want to honor the people that, that are already there especially if I inherited the team I don't want to kick people out and say, I'm sorry, but now we're doing auditions. If you pass the audition, you're in. So that's, that's where I'm going to go every time. I'm going to let those remain, and I'm going to try to develop them. I'm going to try to um, set goals for them individually. Not not going to embarrass them in front of everybody else, but I'm going to try to take them where they are and try to pull them up. And then with all new people coming in, you've got the license to do it, no problem at all. Well, we, it, it's usually, it depends, and it depends on how much new music we're doing usually. So if there's a, something that we're really trying to work through, sometimes there's a brand new song that we're arranging. We have that too, where one of our songwriters writes a song, and this is the first time we're trying it. So that, that could be a longer process, longer rehearsal. Sometimes it's a song that we, is not necessarily like that. It's something we know, we kind of know the arrangement, but we're trying to nail it down. Then that can take some time too. There's other times where it's every song is songs that we've done before, and it's more just tightening the screws down a little bit, working on the transitions, working on the beginnings and endings, making sure we're all on the same page, making sure if we have like two electric guitar players, they know what parts through all that kind of stuff. It's working out that kind of thing. Um, and so as, as far as the actual rehearsal of the music, it 
can be relatively short. It doesn't require a lot of time. But we usually we usually have, tell people to kind of earmark like an hour and a half when we do rehearsals. Um, and so that if we need that time, we can use it. Oftentimes, it'll take less than that for the actual rehearsal, but, but we make sure we have enough time. So. So it, seems like, it seems like there's a new trend in modern worship to try to move towards doing stems or doing a lot of like backing tracks and stuff like that. Um, so how do you balance that side of like new and cool and, and being full with kind of sounding overproduced? I guess I guess I can I mean for me it for, for it to be overproduced it would need to be really loaded the tracks with the stems would have to be really loaded down to where you just have all kinds of things you know adding brass and all these different things um, I, I just say keep them simple I remember I used to make stems now Hendy's making the stems but I would make them and I would pick what things I want in there and the, it was it was these catch lines or um, melodic things that needed to be in there that I thought would really help. That's what I put in. But then all there's a lot of other stuff I could have put in that I didn't because I thought we we've got to have some room to fill it in. If you stack them too thick, then everybody's overplaying because people aren't necessarily playing exactly the arrangement that you may have recorded. And so, um, as far as balance, I, I don't. I wouldn't be against having them throughout the whole service if they were tastefully done, but but it's also nice to have just a couple of them. Maybe you have a set of five songs or four songs, and maybe two two of them have those tracks to play to. Yeah, and then for us, I think we've committed to that the tracks and stems are not like the master. Like we're still in charge. So if we, this is what gets you out of like being a slave to click or tracks like if if the song is going to go in a different direction I, I think we talked about it earlier yeah I have a solo button on my computer it's it d ditches all the tracks and just keeps the click going so that we can uh, flow and go different directions and uh, and then I also make sure to talk to the guys in the band who play regularly and figure out what exactly they're playing so that I'm not doubling too many of their parts, and if I am gonna double any parts, it's just to help accentuate a part and make it poke out a little bit more in the mix. Um, and if it's not working, we just ditch it. And and we can pull a song, a, a, good, a good gauge would maybe to be if you can pull the song off without the track or with the track, um, you have to be able to pull it off without it. And then if, if the track is so overproduced that you have got to have it to play that song, then you're probably getting into the world of these are just, it's just too much. Like we can't even do these songs without the tracks. Um, and I think stems are gonna continue to play a bigger role as more records that I hear coming out are have a lot of sounds that we cannot produce in a live setting. Um, that's where we will rely on stems um, to fill in that, those gaps. Our, uh, our church has in-ear monitors. We have communication from the booth, and I'm curiosity's killing the cat. How are you guys doing the metronome or the tick? I mean, what options have you seen and used, and what have you guys ultimately ended up with? As far as sounds or subdivision or programs, all of it? Uh, just the, the metronome, the tick. Just yeah. We, well, I run it out of Ableton, and uh, Ableton Live is a 
software that is really great for running live audio. Like it has all the capabilities of Pro Tools and those things, but it's really geared towards using like low CPU power so it doesn't stall out on you. Um, and I grew up playing to a Tama Rhythm Watch, the RW105, and and so ninety nine ninety nine. And uh, I I uh, am obsessed with that sound. I tried to switch over to a bo a Boss Doctor Beat. It, it keeps the it keeps the same tempo, but the sound doesn't. I guess maybe it doesn't. It's off by a fraction of a second. It or is. But Trust I don't. Trust me, I know. <laughs> but uh, I didn't like the sound of it. So for Ableton, I actually recorded a rhythm watch sample, and I create all of those tracks or all those clicks as loops that play there. But and then as far as subdivision, my per and it's all personal preference. And you'll find differences even in this church. Caleb Culver runs all the clicks for Corey Asbury. He doesn't like a lot of subdivision. He likes uh, eighths and quarter notes. I love subdivision. So like any song under 100 beats per minute, I'm going to be using 16th note subdivision. And I hate downbeats because I want to have the click as loud as I possibly can. And when you do a downbeat accent, the downbeat hurts. And then the rest of it feels right in my ears. So that so those are all personal preferences. Anything like above 110 beats per minute, I like to use eighth notes. I think that's a good amount of subdivision to be able to keep myself on. And I'm, and I'm well aware that I play the click a lot louder than the rest of the band. Um, so. And Caleb makes fun of us all the time <laughs> yeah. for the subdivision. <laughs> so, so much of it is preference. And when I've played with, I've gone out and played with Corey before, and Caleb has run the clicks. I totally jump on board with their thing and serve their situation, and that's kind of the ongoing conversation with all of the band dynamic stuff. Is you are serving each other, you're serving the song, you're serving the congregation. That makes life so much easier if you can have that banner over everything you're doing. It's made, I mean, it's something I've really grabbed onto over the last few years and it's just made my life way easier. Well, thank you all for coming and, and sticking it out here. We, um, we're around, we'll be around this whole week. So if you see one of us and you have another question, feel free to stop us and ask us and we'd love to, you know, help you out with that. And uh, we'll be at the little tables in the, what are they calling it? The, the, ter the ter no, concourse. Over in the concourse. We will be around there, so feel free to come by and ask us. Thank you.